I've not seen that one. <laughs> Jay and Abed in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> if Katie and I watch it, it's funny. Oh, okay. It's on Netflix. Nice. Alright. Well, shall we get intro? Introducing today our uh, first guest. Ms. made uh, $150 investing in <laughs> stocks and markets and things. Really going with that intro. So uh, <laughs> he's our financial advisor. It's a better net gain than I've made. <laughs> That's career stats for you. <laughs> Your one week stats are my career stats. <laughs> uh, yeah. In all seriousness, though, uh, it's a mutual friend of ours, mm-hmm. and uh, I have taken a lot of financial advice from him and it has turned out very very good for me overall yeah you're retiring later this year right if later this year is 2060 <laughs> then yes 2060 is a good goal start uh, somewhere start somewhere that's right we may end up getting to talk about retirement later in this episode but um yeah you probably have known him longer than i have actually probably yeah we go way back to early 2010 yeah. Forty. Yeah, I think we knew each other first though, because high school. Well, true. Kinda. Like I was we kind of like a. Other. Yeah, we knew of each other, but we weren't. I mean, you were in the. You know, like you were just in a different. Group than I was, but like, yeah, we just knew each other in high school, but more or less just by, proximity, not necessarily by like actual relationship. Right. Right. Because are you older than me or not? I think we're the same. 87 when were you born? I'm late 88, December 88. So you're you're a year older than me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stupid underclassman. (laughs) Get in this locker. (laughs) Slam, slam, kick. (laughs) And, and, oh wait, am I allowed to say names? Is that? Yeah. (laughs) I'm scared. (laughs) Who's gonna listen to this? (laughs) Hi, Bob. Jose and I, I had to meet Jose because he, uh, he was an awesome guitarist and I just... Need to know who who this guy was, and so that's uh, that's how we met. I always remember initial Ryan by uh, always wearing fancy pea coats and uh, just overall dressed up for four forty. Yeah. There's yeah, no way I was, really I was getting making it. Oh, there's no <laughs> way I was getting any girls while you were around. I don't even know what four forty is. That shows you how. As I was. Young adults. Young adults group. In fairness, so here's another financial tip that everyone always thought I, back then, uh, was was well-dressed, but uh, a lot of those coats came from Goodwill, and I just cleaned them up. <laughs> there you go. Or living abroad, I uh, I had one uh, tailored in China, and it was, uh, I think it was like 70 bucks. Way for, cheaper uh, than here. For a wool trench coat. Nice. And, uh, yeah, same one was like three hundred bucks at Macy's, and so I, uh, that was a good buy. I don't think I'm I... a bargain hunter. That's the <laughs> bargain that's hunter. The you secret. got to be. You got to be. <laughs> Fake it till you make it was my motto back then. I don't and think... still today, <laughs> still faking it. Back then and still now, kind of. <laughs> I don't think I've talked to you a lot about it, but tell me more about China. China was good. It actually, just popped up on my Facebook memories twelve years ago. How long were you there? I was there six months doing study abroad, mm-hmm. um, and uh, oh, six months, six weeks, edit that. <laughs> <laughs> six weeks, I spent a week in Beijing and five weeks in Shanghai studying at Shanghai Dashui, which was the university there, oh. and so did international business, um, marketing, 
economics, and my gym credit was Tai Chi. Solid. So, yeah, it's a fun time. You said 12 years ago? 2008. So yeah, just about. Almost there. So yeah, that so. would have been for college? That would have been... Yeah. Okay. Yeah, study abroad. And, uh, mm. and then the next year, I worked abroad in Australia, and that was three months. I remember that. Months, not weeks. And I... Uh, weeks, months, yeah, whatever. Worked for a private equity group there that's actually doing really well today, so it's cool to be part of and see their successes yeah so you've actually lived in both china and australia have you lived i guess what what do you guys define living as? i mean i, mean, I would six say weeks yeah to three months were you were you paying rent in that place um so i was living in dorms in china okay. i was living in an apartment in australia yeah six six weeks is long enough to say that you've kind of okay i've kind of ingrained in the life a little bit yeah, yeah, six weeks daily is, routine. Six weeks might be a little short. I'm, I guess my my definition of like living somewhere else would be like, are you paying to live there? Are you paying rent? Like, mm. that's that's kind of the the like, measuring stick for me. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I paid tuition, which provided the dorm. Well, that more or less rent. counts. Yeah. yeah, yeah, more or less counts. Room and board. And so, it was. I mean, we had a daily routine, and we. Um, one of the favorite places right outside the university was a dumpling shop where you pay a dollar for 12 dumplings. Nah, that's and what I'm talking about. And this place was like legit dumpling. Like You're in you China. You walk in and Come on. chickens are walking past you Solid. and you look in the back and there is a woman, older woman, just hand packing these dumplings. Oh, yeah. mm. You like, know they're good. A pound of, a, like pile of meat on one side and just noodles on the other and she's just Jeez. packing them, putting them in. That sounds so and, good. Uh, yeah, and tw- I mean, it was really authentic. The one thing that kind of like, I started uh, bringing my own chopsticks after this, but we were all eating, and it's pretty packed at the time. Like, I mean, of the ten tables there, mm-hmm. um, and so that every table had like a big cup of chopsticks that you just pull and you can start eating and and stuff. And then what I noticed at the table next to me when people got up to leave is they kind of just licked the chopsticks and put them back. Oh. <laughs> I was like, nope. Hmm. Okay. Trying to just build immunity. So we'll remember that for next time. <laughs> yeah. Strong immunity there. Um, but it was cool. I mean, you know, Shanghai at the time was 19 million people. So yeah. what is it now? piled up. I don't know what it is now, but I'm assuming it's more. 19 million um, people in one city. Crazy. Yeah. Is it, was it just like everything's vertical because there's just like, there's not enough space that it was just like high yeah. rises everywhere? Yeah. yeah. In Beijing, I mean, that was 2008 was the Olympics. Mm. And so we All were right. there two months before the Olympics. And it I'm was sure literally like, was there. still being built. But wow. um, the hotel that I stayed at, they said the year before mm-hmm. was a dirt road and now it was a four lane highway. Jeez. I saw... One day I left the hotel and there was a dirt mound on this road, and and then the next day I saw about a hundred people on this dirt mound, and then the next day it was just beautifully landscaped with this like <laughs> Olympic rings in flowers and grass and everything. <laughs> I mean, they just uh, like have such a strong workforce that they can uh, sure. by numbers alone can get that stuff done. Well, was right? it wasn't Corona hit that like in the Hunan province they built that hospital in like a week. Yeah. Yeah, it was I mean a it humongous was humongous hospital. Yeah, even in Beijing, I mean, in 2008, they they built these walls in days around parts of the city that would be less appealing to visitors. Right, so they didn't have to see it. I did yeah. hear that, like, when 
when you they built it so that when you touch down from like your airplane, like your whole ride to the hotels, like they put up these big like hedges and like you know whatever bush shrubbery yeah. so like your whole path like you wouldn't actually be able to see in hmm. and just be like oh it's all beautifully landscaped shrubbery right hmm. you'll get to see nothing of what this country is really like inside but yeah yeah but no i mean it was i mean the food was awesome the um i've i really acquired a taste for duck hmm. and tea mm. i mean drink tea all the time i there. love tea <laughs> so, i love tea. pitching duck so yeah pitching yeah no. peaking Peking duck for those Peking that duck. order it off of the. Uh, <laughs> and you get like the, the. Sometimes they give you like the skin that's like fried and crisp. Crispy. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's so good. I don't know that I've ever had duck. Maybe, I got another Maybe one. once. One more funny China story is we were. We were um, out in one of the. Uh, oh, no, I can't think of it. It's called a water village, Hanzhou. And we were probably about four or five weeks in to the trip. And we were visiting this on a weekend trip, and they said we have a surprise for you guys. We're gonna take you to an American style buffet. And so after five <laughs> weeks of eating like Chinese food, you're like, yeah, like a burgers and fries and like buffet. Yeah. Like this is gonna be great. So we spent all morning like walking through these beautiful gardens yeah. and like, but hot. It was hot. Yeah. Um, which little rabbit trail. One time I uh, was looking down at the map walking, and I looked. Uh, around me, and I realized I was no longer with my group, but with a group of uh, of Chinese people, and uh, they were all significantly shorter than me. <laughs> like it was not to, head and shoulders. But I, I, else. I just remember like standing up and just looking and being like, "Oh, there's my group over there, and there's probably 50 people around me that were not uh, easily just see over the top." Yeah, but it was fun. I mean, we. Um, I so I was about. Um, I don't know. I was a pretty big guy then with a big beard. And then my uh, close friend uh, was a six-foot black guy. And we, like, constantly had people wanting to take our pictures and, like, talk sure. to us. And sure. So we had a good time meeting the locals. But we show up. So long day, walking in the heat, super excited for this American-style buffet. We get there, and... Again, I was a big guy. I really appreciate food after walking that long. I was really looking forward. Super and hungry. I and I will say I cried in sadness for what they thought an American style buffet oh, was. Boy. It was uh they had a cheese platter that was um like a charcuterie board. Yeah, well the the card <laughs> said cheese platter. Okay. The the presentation was craft singles still oh. in the plastic wrapper. No. Cut in half and stacked on each other. <laughs> <laughs> they had beefaroni, which uh, was not uh, drained. So it was water with noodles oh. and then meat and tomato sauce floating at the top. <laughs> like, oh no! I'm like, please, I, I, I am. Got to read the instructions on the box. <laughs> I'm a 20 year old, like at the time, not a chef in any means. But let me go back there and just show them like a few basic American principles and cuisine. You're like, take um, me please to a Chinese restaurant. I'm so hungry. The food, the Chinese food there. Well, there they just call it food. Was very good. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh huh. Yeah, so it was a good time. Australia, I lived um, in Surrey Hills, which was a suburb of Sydney. And so I'd okay. take the, the bus every day to work, would drop me off at um, the Opera House. 
Nice. Mm. And then I'd walk two blocks. I worked on the 10th floor of a building that overlooked the whole harbor. And that yeah, was dang. like... That's awesome. Yeah. I came home and applied for probably 20 jobs in Australia. I was going to say, why did you ever leave? Yeah. They, the private equity firm at that time was only nine people. Um, but what you had was just an internship they, so you couldn't yeah. stay? Did you yeah. oh, okay. did you ever catch yourself trying to fake an Australian accent while you were there? I, G'day, so mate. We actually, G'day. A guy, surprisingly, a guy that I became friends with there who was in the same program. I was in different internship, but we went through like a program, was from... Uh, uh, North Homestead. So he's like no 20 way. minutes away <laughs> from me. Yeah. And yeah. so we like really dove deep into like the Ohio stereotype, but with like Minnesota accents. Oh, oh. <laughs> so we'd go around and we'd be like, oh, hey there, boy, this water is beautiful. Reminds me of Lake Erie. <laughs> like, oh, just give me some roll golds in a canoe and I'd be fishing all day. And, like, people thought we really talked like that. From Minnesota. Know, we, really, we really just... You don't even into it. Really committed to that. Committed um, to it. We tried to make some money uh, singing outside on the street a couple times until the police told us we couldn't do that anymore. <laughs> that was fun. With a little... Busking. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um... But, uh, yeah, a little more expensive. You couldn't buy dump- 12 dumplings for a dollar in Sydney. Definitely not. Sure. Yeah, not. What what time of year were you there? Was it, like, really hot? So I was there our summer, which was their winter. But So it must have been nice and temperate then. Yeah, I mean, the coldest day was 40 degrees. And you so could still, not, on the weekend, bad. typically go to the beach and swim. So <laughs> From Ohio, 40 degrees is like a 65 everywhere else. That's right, exactly. <laughs> for an Ohioan. Yeah, for sure. You can do shorts in 40. Yeah. The, the the drink of choice there for the cheapest drink you could get at a bar was called a German Diesel. And it was <laughs> three, three Australian dollars for a half Guinness, half Coke. Interesting. Yeah. Diesel. You learn to like it. <laughs> at three dollars. Yeah. At three dollars. When you when you get something named diesel, I'm <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you you lower your expectation a little bit. Yeah. Just like when you ask for something called a cement mixer. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. German diesel's good though, but Sydney's such a cool melting pot. I mean they have yeah. on one street you have like every style I feel like I always go back to food, but every type of food. Just because so many people, so many different cultures. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed there. I'd recommend anyone take two weeks and visit Australia. Yeah. Australia. Yeah. I would love to go to Australia. Yeah. There's a lot of poisonous things, though, in Australia. I'm not real fond of that. Like things that scorpions kill you and spiders in and Australia. Snakes. Yeah. They gave us a book when before we went. Deadly outnumbers. <laughs> it was a thick book. And it was like 80% of the world's deadliest animals. Oh, in great. Australia. Yeah, perfect. Here's how you manage them. <laughs> Just don't. Yeah. <laughs> Stay away. <laughs> no. I, I, when you're talking about China, you mentioned the whole 12 dumplings for a dollar thing. I, when I was there, I was there for about a month, and I just remember it being like food was so cheap. You get like one of those, everybody's seen like the, the styrofoam takeout boxes that are like square and have like three containers, right? Yeah. Like one yeah. big one and then like two small ones or, you know, whatever, half and two quarters. Um, and they would fill it to the point that when you closed it and then reopened the lid, um, it would actually like you could see the imprint of the lid like in the top. So it's like really full and it was like just over a dollar. And I was yeah. like, this is a, ma- of, I should say it was of like fried rice. So it was like egg fried rice, pork fried rice, yeah. veggie fried rice, you know, 
and to get it for a dollar was like that's amazing yeah. it was yeah. and it was like legit it was so good but I, to your point on the food thing like it goes back to food but at the same time I feel like that's what's most what equates most and what most people can relate most to about like a place right it's like oh if I can go somewhere and eat the local food like I feel like I'm a part of that yeah. culture somehow yeah, because sure. because like you don't speak the language maybe you don't know the customs but like Anybody can eat food, right? And so if you go to a place and then you eat their food, like somehow that I think that feels like you're a part of that place. Yeah, it's so, a great way to connect to the culture. Yeah, it is. So wherever you are, mm-hmm. like well, and it's cool too because they're so proud of their culture and they're mm-hmm. so happy to have you there. I mean, we would just go on really cool, like outside your comfort zone things mm-hmm. with people that you know. You have this language barrier, but yeah. you you um, you just kind of go along. I mean, we were in groups and stuff, you know. But um, but they just wanted to show you things that they liked in their you know little area of Shanghai or little area of Beijing. Yeah. Um, what what's their favorite restaurant? And was there? I mean, we had one time where we were in a restaurant and the it lost power, and the wait staff put us in a cab, which. Like they're you know we don't speak Chinese or right. Mandarin yeah. yeah and they put us in a cab and take took us to another restaurant and paid for our meal wow and we were like no like you don't have to do this right. <laughs> yeah it'll be okay yeah, yeah. and uh, so it was just like really cool I mean how respectful yeah. and kind and excited they were to share mm-hmm. not only their food but their their culture and. Um, yeah, really good experience that even 12 years later, I feel like I can talk forever on. Yeah. Would you go back to China? <laughs> yes and no. I feel like I would go back, um, but there's so many other places I want to go. Yeah, that I get that. Hard yeah. to. I get that. I mean, now being married, I'd love for my wife to see. For sure. You know, parts of the things that I experienced. I'd love to take her to Australia. Yeah. And we both like to travel. Um, you know, we honeymooned in Spain, which was our favorite part was um, finding like the local spots. For sure. Luckily, she spoke Spanish, so it was a little easier to <laughs> a little easier <laughs> to for get, sure to find those spots and order off the menu. But uh, mm-hmm. you know, those are the things we like to do. I'm surprised you didn't call me to translate something for you. They were going to take you on your <laughs> honeymoon. Like, like I, hey, Jose, we're we're going on our honeymoon to Spain. You speak Spanish. You want to come with us? I see. did. I did push for you to come, but you see. Know, there wasn't a lot of room in the in the suitcase. You so. can carry me in like one of the little doggy carriers. <laughs> exactly. Be underneath the plane. Little Chihuahua. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, it's it's time to make you worth make you worth w- worth your weight. Tell me about investing <laughs> and why I should take all my assets and put it into Bitcoin right now, or doggy coin, or dog dog e coin, <laughs> or as Jose says, well, Doge coin. It's French. If if it were oh, worth okay. my weight, we could all retire. That's for sure. <laughs> but I will. <laughs> well, what do you want to know? Um. All right, I, I'm dying to know what you think of it. Tell me about the hedge fund, the hedge fund string pullers versus the Reddit meme lords. <laughs> yeah, I I am still processing through this, but my initial thoughts are: there are hedge funds is a very broad term. Uh, there's a lot of different kinds of hedge funds. Yeah. Um, let's time out. Let's give some some basic context. You've you've been in the financial world 
for yeah. quite some time. Yeah. Right? It's it's and it's not even that it's just a, a hobby for you. Like it's your life. It's 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 your life. I mean, you're not a, a day trader necessarily by, yeah, I tried by that. trade, it's, but that's a that's a tough thing to do. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. But it's it's not like a you know oh I dabble here and there. Like you you know, you know, you're familiar with this world. I should say more than especially more than the two of us. Yeah, I mean, I could give a little background. I, my undergrad is in international business, economics, and finance. I have an MBA, a concentration in finance. I've worked for a large regional bank for a number of years. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked in family wealth, uh, which is more family office management. So mm-hmm. they invest in private equity. They invest in hedge funds. Right. Um, and then they invest in, in stocks, a stock portfolio as well. Um, left there and do did uh, investment banking for a while. So I sold private companies mm-hmm. uh, for a number of years and uh, did valuation advisory. Um, you know, someone someone's interested in selling their company, and they want to know what they're worth. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's easy. It's easier to look at a public company and say, sure. here's what you're worth based on your stock sure. or your debt and you know all the all the factors that go into like a public trading company. Yeah. Okay. But a private company. They don't necessarily have, uh, some do, but shares that you can just look sure. at and say, so sure. you know, especially smaller ones in the under $100 million range. So we would advise on that, and then we'd find buyers for that. So I left that, uh, the sell side, um, and now I currently buy companies <clears throat> for a company. So they want to grow, they want to grow through acquisition. I work in their corporate development department looking at those and saying, Here's how much it's worth. Here's how much we're going to offer to buy them. Mm-hmm. We have those conversations, and then we help with integrating those. So, gotcha. so yeah, a long way to say that finance has been, all, I mean, since college has been yeah, for uh, sure. something I've been heavily involved in. It, in like five seconds or less, what's your valuation of the Extraordinary Podcast as it is right now with an EBITDA of zero? Dollars. Well, I mean, your guys' potential for growth—you gotta, you gotta <laughs> factor that in there. I mean, what's you uh, heard it here first, folks? What's what's twenty-two times revenue right now? Still zero, but twenty-two <laughs> times zero again? Yeah, that's zero. <laughs> I'm not great at math, but I think anything times zero is still zero, right? Uh. Yeah. So, back into so, um, so I guess to, to kind of talk about the last uh, nine years, or uh, call it six or seven years of, of my career, has been very much involved in the private equity hedge fund world, from looking at a family office investing in hedge funds to working for a company that sold companies to private equity. And now be on the buying side. And now be on the buying side. Very unique. Um, path and in interesting perspective I think being able to like where you're at now looking back and using do you feel like you use previous work experience from like the previous other two jobs to like oh yeah help for, you on the other side sure. I mean I you know my first one of my first jobs out of college was call center uh, at a bank and online banking you know and um, mm-hmm. I still use that experience you know and and also just have a better appreciation like for, for yeah. what those people do there but for sure conflict resolution you can't find a better place to <laughs> calm someone learn how to calm people down for sure and when you're talking to people who are 
you know, $150 million buying and selling a company, ten, like tensions happen when you're negotiating. For and sure. to be able to temper that, I mean. Yeah. But then also, yeah, just, just being able to um, know the processes and know like what the other people are thinking because, right. hey, I was on the sell side. Yeah. Like, I was representing you. Yeah. Too it's long almost ago. like a cheat code. And uh, <laughs> yeah, was, I actually was talking to a group that we're trying to buy and they're on the fence and I you know could relate to them because I said three or four years ago I'd be advising you right now yeah. and I'd be saying like you know our adage was always the best time to sell is when you don't have to you know? interesting and, and, and uh, but at the same time when people are successful and don't have a reason to get rid of or move on or yeah, retire sure. or anything like they're gonna keep hold being them. successful and hold yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah, know right. yeah. They don't so, feel the need to sell, so why would they? Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, so um, you know, I always like that phrase because I think that that goes into like job job searching, like mm-hmm. the best time to look for a job is when mm-hmm. you don't have to. <laughs> I mean, if best you're time to buy a car is when you don't need one. Right. Exactly. When you're put in that financial stress situation, mm-hmm. uh, it's gonna make you it's gonna make you make bad decisions. Mm-hmm. Which is also, you know, to some extent, a GameStop and hedge fund transition because towards the end of that whole situation, people were put in financially stressed situations, and you know, you lose very quickly your your um, your plan as an investor <laughs> when you start seeing seventy percent losses. Yeah, I mean, really, the 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 average person can only sustain 20% losses hmm. yeah. before they're like, I'm done. I'm like, out. Yeah. yeah. And so sometimes in investing, that's good because you have your fight or flight kick yeah, in and say, sure. get out. Yeah. Sometimes you lose on that and, yeah. uh, you know, the stock can recover and shoot up. Right. Yeah. Now, realistically, like I think a lot of people were duped in the Reddit thing. Um, this whole, you know, go to the moon, it's going to hit a thousand, GameStop's going to hit a thousand dollars. Short squeezes just naturally don't work like that. You right. can't. You can push a stack up so much, but eventually, like there's, the, the inherent value of the company and the market's right. going to write itself. Right. Yeah. And there's just no way. I mean, I I would have been really shocked if there was anything. I mean, GameStop's certainly not worth four hundred dollars <laughs> a share, let alone a thousand. A thousand, right? Yeah. And. I mean, and and people, you know, they quickly said hedge funds are the bad guys. They're manipulating the market and they're doing this. And and there are bad players that are going to be out there. Sure. But in every industry. But the um, those tools that they're doing are available to the average investor. Not mm-hmm. to that extreme, but sure. I've made money shorting a company. And and Let's be honest, like people didn't say like GameStop needs to go to 400 because it's worth that. Right. Because, in fact, before this year, GameStop was consistently the joke of like, oh, I took my $60 game back and I got, you know, a pencil. Like, <laughs> like they, they had sense. a terrible yeah. business model yeah. that people yeah. were getting ripped off and trying sure. to resell their video games. Right. And now like with streaming and um, I mean, just so many avenues to get other gaming like they mm-hmm. the brick and mortar has kind of lost the appeal for sure and now it's like let's be the hero it was very it was more of a joke <laughs> to be you know 
part of this whole craze. Now, don't get me wrong, the retail investor has changed dramatically this last year yeah. what the market can do through mm. Webull and Robinhood yeah, and for sure. even those creating bigger brokerage firms like TD Ameritrade and Vanguard and Fidelity to decrease their fees mm. and allow more trading options. Mm-hmm. I mean, stocks can move now because of how retail investors are investing where that used to not be the case. Yeah. And So you think uh, there's real pressure from retail investors on companies like like big, you're talking like big names like Vanguard and Fidelity. Like those are huge in in the grand scheme of things, right? Yeah, like those com- are huge. competitive pressure. I think. Um, well, I think Robinhood definitely changed the game in offering like commission free trades, and mm. it's, yeah. it's made more um, long term stable brokers to have to like reevaluate how to be competitive in this market. Right. But I also think retail investors are, you know, especially for smaller price stocks with smaller volumes are, are are allowing by kind of this group mentality to change to swing prices. Hmm. And so there's a lot of risk created in that because you have people throwing in, I mean, there's almost a culture created of like, hey, show me how much, much risk you can take. Hmm. I mean, to the extent where I'm concerned in some ways, and it's a it turns into like a pissing contest of like you know yeah, sure. well I lost a hundred thousand today well I lost you know two hundred and or I gained a hundred thousand or two hundred yeah. you know and then you look on these Reddit threads or uh, other platforms where people are bragging about that mm-hmm. yeah and it's like let's find the middle investor that's me who's yeah. like ninety percent of my portfolio is index funds and and more diverse trading but I have this 10% that I like to play with sure. as opposed to like 10% is index funds and yeah. 90% is me just trying to find the next wave right? and get in at a time before everyone gets bored with it and the stock goes back to the you know and, and you could, I mean you see it you see it on, on a lot of things that you know? scares me like to me I wouldn't I just I can't I can't like visualize myself being the the ten ninety that like the the latter of the two things you just mentioned of like I had ten percent of my stuff in safe and I'm just out there being wild with ninety percent of my investment. It's just like I yeah. just I don't know maybe that's my personality or whatever, but I just I can't. And for I some of the people, it's it. worked out well. Uh, I mean, the potential others, to make a ton of money <laughs> obviously is there. Right. But you're exactly right. Wrong. The 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 reverse of that to lose a ton of money is also there. Right. I had a question. I had this conversation with my dad. It's just making me think about it with all the gains and stuff like that. Do you have like an imaginary goal of like if I made this amount, like what else would I need in life? I know what it is. Mine? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I had a, yeah, I had a professor in the MBA program. Who, I think I know what it is. Who, uh, test my test my knowledge of yeah. this guy over here. So, so day one, syllabus day, he said <laughs> he said my goal is to make to to teach you all how to make twelve million dollars. Twelve million dollars is F U money. And he's like, what do I mean by that? I mean that when you have twelve million dollars you don't have to work for anyone. Put it in something low risk, three percent interest, you make three hundred and sixty grand a year off interest alone and uh, and you're living pretty. So You're living on interest. On interest, yeah. yeah. Now, there's also like this this one I've seen come up more um, 
or because of the wave in people being interested in investing is that yeah. you're, you're happy making 75,000 a year. Like 75,000 a year is the is the peak of your happiness and anything beyond that is just, you know, Point not incremental terms. happiness, but yeah. it's incremental money. Yeah. Um, That's interesting. But two, I think it was about two years ago, the Wall Street Journal uh, came out and uh, debunked that. Hmm. Because <laughs> what you're doing by making more money uh, is you're... You're, uh, you're being able to afford time. So, you know, now at 150000 a year, you mm-hmm. can, I don't, I don't like to garden, I can hire a gardener. I don't like to clean, I can hire, and the more money I make, now I can outsource. Things I don't want to do. All the things yeah. I don't want to do, and I can free up time. Because yeah. everyone has the same amount of time. Right. Everyone has 24 hours in a day, so. Right. Yeah, no, I, I get that. Your time becomes more valuable to yeah. you. So kind of two parts to that question. I mean, if I had 12 million, the, if I had 10 million, I mean, well, if I had 5 million, I probably could see like just living off interest because that's pretty nice still at those returns, at a 3% return. Yeah. The lead is, and this is going to be a lot of hypotheticals because none of us make billions of dollars or a billion dollars a year. Speak for yourself. <laughs> yeah, 150 in three days. Come on. <laughs> dollars, not billions. My dad and I said, look, we're talking like once you've made a billion dollars, what else do you need to do to succeed in financial gain? Like you've kind of won in capitalism. I don't. I don't even feel like it's a billion. I mean, I, I think you you less so, but especially for he and I, um, I think the the amount of a billion dollars is so hard for a typical traditional American to understand how much money. Truly, a billion dollars is. Yeah. yeah. Like, like I, I remember back when I was like maybe late high school, early college, I played the game with people of, you know, if somebody wrote me a, a check for a million dollars, right? A million dollars, like, what would I spend it on? And like, I would buy, like, you know, what high, late high school kids and, and early, like, oh, I'd buy a car and I'd like, you know, do this and I'd buy a house, whatever. And it's like, Great, you spent, you got everything you wanted. You still have five hundred thousand dollars left, in most cases, right? And it's so to so to understand that then that million dollars is a thousand times greater because it's a thousand million is a billion, right? Right. Sounds right. So it's like it's, or is it a hundred? No, it's not a hundred billion. I'm, I'm bad at math. Yeah, it's not. It's, <laughs> no, you can carry the two. This <laughs> episode is brought to you by Weller Antique 107. Yeah, I wish. Uh, yeah, because it's, it's 100 million. <laughs> you can have 100 million, then you can have 500 million, you can have 999 million, and then you have a billion. Right. So it's a thousand million is a billion. So I think it's just, it's so hard, I think, for us to grasp that amount. One million dollars is life changing money to pretty much anyone who's not mega rich. To 90. 99.5, 99.9% of people? Post-tax, one million. <laughs> yes. I mean, remember the government's going to get their, their yeah, 30 yeah, yeah. to 40% share if you won a million dollars. Correct. So, so the finishing point to that is once you've made that amount, like, what makes you want to keep making more? Like, my dad question. and I said, like, my dad said, like, it's a game to them. Like, they said, I've already made one. Like, why not make more? I've heard mm-hmm. people say that your your mil, your first million is the hardest one to make, and then from there it's like easy. I'm like, it's mind blowing <laughs> to hear rich people talk sometimes because of what they say is like, oh, your first million is your hardest. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, it makes sense though. Like once you have a million dollars, the the amount of 
the amount of resources then you have access to or the amount of, you know, the old adage of you have to spend money to make money. Well, if you haven't, if now you have a million dollars to spend, you can spend a million dollars to make more money if you only yeah. have a hundred dollars to spend. Wasn't it Warren Buffett or Charlie Munger who said uh, the first hundred thousand is the hardest? Interesting. And then after that. But, you know, I'm you still trying at, to get there, Warren. I'll be there soon. <laughs> so, like, I look at, you know, I've been... I've been getting more, and we've talked about this off offline about uh, options trading and covered calls. And so you look at something like, what if you own a hundred shares of Apple? Yeah. You know, Apple's Apple's trading at one hundred thirty dollars a share right now. Yeah. So if you had thirteen thousand dollars to buy a hundred shares of Apple, which is a high growth stock, they have a ton of cash on their balance sheet. They're looking into uh, you know, automated cars and five um, G. Like they're getting involved in the right things. They're not going. Anywhere. They're not going anywhere. <laughs> yeah. And you could sell monthly covered calls on them for five hundred bucks a month. Yeah. Regardless of stock price, you make five hundred bucks a month. Sure. So now you have six thousand a year. Yeah. And then you use that in two years, you have two hundred shares of Apple or mm-hmm. another stock that's a growth stock with sure. like a good option price on it. Mm-hmm. Now you're making a thousand bucks a month, twelve thousand dollars a year. Now you can buy a hundred shares within a year, and so like to me that's exciting because it's like now I'm not talking about my first million being the hardest. Now I'm not even talking about a hundred thousand being the hardest. Now I'm talking about thirteen thousand. And can I save up for that now? Now I would never recommend owning one stock in your portfolio. Sure, you have thirty thousand dollars. Please don't go. <laughs> just buy. For Apple. all you listeners out there, do not go <laughs> <Yeah>. out. <laughs> yeah, having a more diverse portfolio probably be better than just one. But right. I, I understand the concept of what you're talking about. But similar, like I mean, you look at other things like in that hundred hundred thirty dollar range. Mm-hmm. Um, Another interesting one that I've been researching this weekend is, which a lot of people are really talking about right now, is the high growth ETF ARK, A R K K. It's trading at one hundred thirty dollars a share. What, what is it? What is it? The ETF of? Uh, so, so it's high growth stocks that are uh, disruptive to an industry. So their last report showed that they're like they hold ten percent of their portfolio is Tesla. Um, and they have, uh, you know, a couple other things in, like, entertainment and space exploration. And so just just things that they're, you know, kind of ana- analyzing if this is going to be the next big thing. Yeah. 153.10 currently is what it's trading at. 153? 153. Oh, man. Went up from last week. Uh, so so $15,000, you're still making that 500 bucks a month because it's, 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 I mean, you know, the more volatile... The more high growth a, a stock is, the more money you're going to get on the option. Um, okay. If you think about it that way, and so the safer stuff, generally, quote unquote, safer things like Apple or things that you know aren't aren't. Well, so you're, you're talking about high volatility. Growth. Oh, okay, That's okay. Considered high growth, but like you look at Walmart. Walmart, you can trade options on, but it's it's probably not going to be a huge yeah. huge price. Um, okay. Which is fine because you know I. Uh, I I have a pretty diverse portfolio, but I bought TJ Maxx in, yeah. back in March when it tanked, and I bought a hundred shares of it, and I make fifty bucks a month uh, trading covered calls on it. Like it's considered a stable stock, um, and so it's not priced high. But 
I got a good return getting it at the right yeah. time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I can, and until someone exercises that option, uh, I can uh, continue to make 50 bucks a month off it. Yeah. So not bad. Right, right. <laughs> not at all. For, for, you know, five minutes of my time to place the trade and check it in a month. Seeing as it's the hot flavor of the month, and by month I mean last year or two, where do you see the future of crypto? Yeah, that's something I I, I struggle with, and I haven't spent a ton of time. I, I understand the appeal of Bitcoin being kind of the, the first in yeah. the game, and yeah. um, they've certainly been a lot. I mean, Elon uh, has definitely helped boost that price. No kidding. <laughs> a little bit. But, you know, what What horse do you back in crypto? There's so many Good out question. there. And Ethereum is moving up. Uh, I mean, I don't know. There's so many. <laughs> There's yeah. so many. Litecoin is, those were kind of like the three big ones that were first yeah. added to Coinbase. And um, so where does it go? I, I, I think there's definitely a place for it. But I don't know. You still like... The whole concept is about this like security behind it and blockchain technology and I mean maybe it's complete ignorance because I haven't looked into it but you still hear of it getting hacked. Yeah. And I've still yet to I mean it's still pegged to a dollar, so unless and people say it's not pegged to a dollar but like, what are you how are you buying it and selling it then? Right. For a, a dollar like press yeah. I yeah. mean you know you can. You can own one Bitcoin at today for fifty six thousand, um, but until more people are willing to accept Bitcoin as payment, you're still going to have to convert it back to yeah, a currency. Dollar. And so again, I, I don't, I wouldn't ever claim is, to be an exploit uh, expert on. Is crypto, that how but, Bitcoin wins when it becomes the standard currency? Because I think that's its goal. I think the original goal of Bitcoin was saying, hey, you don't have to worry about your dollars like being stolen or anything. You now have this wallet that's virtual that only you know the password to that you know, can't get stolen in a way. Yeah. And yeah, it still does. It still does. Yeah, I mean, so, so to me, if, you're, if I'm a normal everyday spender, what, and you tell me Bitcoin's safer you know, or a dollar's safer... What's safe? I mean, really, cash is the safest because that's well, in my wallet. If you look <laughs> at it, if one of my dollars was, you look at Bitcoin when it first jumped to nineteen thousand. If you're telling me my dollar could have gotten me nineteen thousand dollars one week, and then the next week would have dropped down to like nine thousand. Yeah. Within like a month, one day my my dollar's worth nineteen thousand, then the next dollars it's worth only nine thousand. Like that doesn't seem very safe to me. And I know there's a lot of yeah. people who it's like, well, you know, more people have to adopt it and more people have to, it's got to become more mainstream than what it already is. But yeah, I mean, so if I'm going to buy Bitcoin, you know, I said 90% of my portfolio is, is more diverse. Mm-hmm. It's blue chip stocks, it's uh, ETFs and index funds. And the 10% is speculative. In that 10%, I might have one to two of that be Bitcoin. Like, I'm not jumping in. The, you know, yeah. I appreciate, I mean, like, same thing with games. That, like, people have made a ton of money off of Bitcoin. For and sure. They got in early, and they have stuck with it, and props to them to do that. I can't stomach it. I mean, the volatility. I've I've traded in and out of Bitcoin a couple times over, over the years, luckily, at a profit. Mm-hmm. But, like... Um, 
probably shouldn't have said that. Don't tell the IRS. Uh, <laughs> no, no, just, just kidding. <laughs> uh, I will report this. I'll buy your taxes. Uh, but <laughs> um, but others haven't been out. Yeah, and so, for sure. Uh, so yeah, I I'm still on the fence about cryptos. Also pay your taxes. <laughs> yeah, also pay your, pay your taxes. That's the it's biggest takeaway of today. It's not worth the audit. Yeah. PSA, everyone, pay if you bought, your taxes. If you bought your GME at $5 and sold at 400 <laughs> pay those taxes. <laughs> oh, oh, man. Gosh. So, yeah, so going way back to the, your initial question, um, are there hedge funds out there that are bad? Yes. Should you short bad companies? I mean, realistically, if they're bad companies, they're probably going down anyway. Like you, I mean, now there are some like the, the issue with this case is there's some who are saying like hedge funds can manipulate the market to make this company go bankrupt. That's messed up, in my opinion. You you shouldn't be like Agreed. driving a company to go bankrupt for sure. Yeah. Um, and short sellers when they own that many shorts could have that potential to manipulate that. Um, but if I am looking at the market as a short-term investor or even a long-term investor and I just say like, hey, these industries are dying and this company is making no moves to, uh, to fix themselves or to di- redirect or adapt. Yeah. You would short that. Yeah. Why, why wouldn't I? Like, sure. <laughs> I mean, sure. it's their own loss. It's my gain. And that's kind of how the markets work. I mean, and to some extent to say that the markets work that way is like, even for the natural progression of trades, you need buyers and sellers. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, right. I mean, yeah. In order for a trade to happen. So basic need, supply and yeah, demand. Exactly. Yeah. So you need people to, you know, as part of the, the, you know, for lack of a better term, the health of the market. Yeah. You need to, but this is, I mean, and this is like, even in the broader scope of things, one of my, side passions have always been and we've met for coffee to talk about investing and we've met for coffee to talk about investing and I'm not a fine, I'm not a licensed advisor let me make that straight I just am really passionate about yeah, financial absolutely. education to people for sure who especially now have access to the to Fidelity and Vanguard and Robinhood at very yeah. low yeah. to no fees and you can be putting money in that um, and, and so educating the masses on the value of investing and Mm -hmm. you know how that will help retirement and the sooner you get into the game and do it you know you can retire and the more you have for retirement I guess probably better way to say it um is something that I I feel like people need to learn and know and can learn because it's not that difficult when you actually you know can take the time to think about it now granted I've had seven years of schooling to, to teach that. But <laughs> but I feel like when I do meet with people, I mean, I met with a high schooler a couple, uh, maybe two years ago, mm-hmm. and he wanted to learn all about investing. And uh, he's 17 years old. When he turned 18, he opened a brokerage account, and he is, like, killing it. <laughs> and so he's, sometimes he's surpassed me with, like, some of his stock research that I'm, I'm really impressed by, yeah. you know, what he did with that and where he went with it. And sure. It's like, man, if you could teach every 18-year-old the value of just putting 50 bucks a month or 25 bucks a month sure. into these accounts, yeah. um, how much it's going to pay off for them is, is so is huge. I think you're right, and the education is, is really important from the standpoint. But the, the other side of the, the coin is like, because 
to to just join Robinhood, throw a hundred bucks in, or some people would you know throw throw a thousand dollars in or something, and just start making trades is like that's dangerous, you know, and mm-hmm. you can get yourself in in a decent amount of trouble, you know, making trades and doing things bef- before you kind of understand really what's going on there. So, allowing education and pushing education so that people can make educated decisions, and and you know one of the things you told me it was if people are looking to get into this is, is to make paper trades. Like, hey, I'm gonna buy this stock at this price, I'm gonna log in my Microsoft Excel spreadsheet, and then I'm gonna hold it for whatever and sell it here. And like, did I go up, did I go down, did I stay the same? And like making a ton of paper trades and doing research that way because then you're not actually risking real money, right. but yeah. you're understanding and you're, you're, you're making you know hypotheses and educated guesses making decisions based on those and then figuring out how they play out without right. having real risk, you know, to your your cash. Well, then you have the time to say, okay, why did it go south? Why right. did I go wrong? Right. Yeah. And, you know, if I do this 10 times with this type of method and I win 70% of the time, maybe it's worth exploring this more. If I lose 70% of the time, maybe we move on and try a different strategy. Right. <laughs> but yeah. you do that all before right. putting your $1,000 or whatever in, mm-hmm. into that. So yeah, for sure. And I know you make like a yearly post and, and usually bring it up. Like, I think I've seen you post about this on, on social media the last at least five years. You're like, hey, if you would have invested in the S&P 500, you know, like even an index fund into it, it's grown 10, 10%. Like, your $100 would be $110. And, you know, that's been mostly true for the last X amount of years. Like, even being safe with it, you're you're still making more money than just keeping your money in a, you know, in a savings account or in a mattress if people save by, you know, having their money just sit tight. Yeah, I mean, the S&P 500 is one of the safest things to invest in. You look over the last 100 years, any pick any 30-year period, which would be like if you started investing at 30 years old and you want to retire at 60, you know, pick any 30-year period of the S&P 500, it's always gone up. Even if you did 1988 to 2008, yeah. you still had a return on the S&P 500. Yeah. And you can buy an index fund or an ETF um, which owns a, a, a basket of those 500 stocks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the diversity there is good because if one goes bankrupt, you don't lose everything. You have 499 picking that. And you're not going to gain 30% in a day. Like sure. Some of these yeah, you know, million dollars. Yeah, yeah. But to your point, yeah, for the last 10 years I've posted this and it's every year. I mean, there. I remember, I think one year was a loss on the S&P 500. But from that year, it's still gone up. But from that year, it's still gone up again. Yeah, any thirty-year period, it's gone up. I mean, there was a there was a ten to thirteen-year period where the S P five hundred was flat. Right. Like, that's going to happen. But you're not. If ninety percent of your portfolio is with the intention to hold for thirty years, that even ten years doesn't matter that much. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a third of your time, but you're still going up. Yeah. And so it's safer. Um, and if you. If you are saying, I don't have time to learn about individual stocks or holding them, mm-hmm. then yeah, the S&P 500 is, is a really simple tool to to help you at least gain more than what a savings account is going to get you. Built-in yeah. diversification. With, yeah, built-in yeah. diversification. I think the thing that scares me the most about investing in retirement, you got to go. 
No, we're good. Okay. Um, is like you're talking about, I was thinking about this the other day. If you're talking about like, okay, I'm going to invest for, we'll call it 30 years, right? If you're talking about retirement, quote unquote retirement, yeah. like if you're, okay, 20 of those years, let's say you got an average of 10% return or whatever. You're, you're doing great, and, but you're planning on all 30 years being more or less that, right? Rule of sevens. It's going to double every seven or yeah, double every seven years. You know, I'm going to get to extra number of dollars, but then those last ten years, it goes flat. Or the last two years, it like totally bombs. It's like you know, I've now saved, and planned for retirement, and you know, as you know, it, with that plan of thirty years, you get the most growth in those last few years because your your comp the compounding interest works most in your favor at the very end. Well, if you don't get that big push at the very end, and instead it flips, and now you've just spent 30 years saving, and you thought you were going to have, you know, a million and a half in retirement, and instead you have 800,000, like, that's a huge difference, whereas you were on track to have the one and a half. But then in those last few years, I yeah. guess, I guess the, as I'm talking out loud, and thinking, I guess, out loud is, you know, Maybe in those last couple of years, your 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 investments have flipped, so you're not as risk. Yeah, I mean, hopefully, or you're not as risk. Uh, you you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Again, I'm not a financial advisor. No, hopefully but at the end of your, you know, as you get closer to retire, you have enough money to where having a financial advisor would be beneficial to mm-hmm. you, and they might have you allocate more to like safer investments, mm-hmm. uh, like bonds or index funds. So or, you wouldn't necessarily have. Funds, but that reverse where you're yeah you i mean in in like this you look at 2008 as a very tough year for people who are planning to retire in 2008 yeah mm-hmm. mm-hmm. um you know which is interesting for people i guess who have seen two huge uh drops i mean recession level drops in in our lifetime um 2008 and 20 last 20. year yeah. yeah i mean yeah. um but you know for people who had to retire in 2008 I feel for them but at the same time it's like if you have the ability if you had the ability to wait one more year those things you would have actually been up on your investments like the market recovered Mm -hmm. by 2009 within a year yeah and then by 2010 you were even better off Mm -hmm. and then I mean the market went on a huge run until you know last year and so um so yeah, I mean certainly a risk. Hopefully by by then you're rebalancing your portfolio and kind of taking some more uh, lower risk investments, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're not putting that much at risk. But I think yeah. that's a hard thing for people because people are so emotional over their money. You'll see like your numbers. For sure. I've I've even had to stop myself because I've I've been doing more and more of Robin Hood. I see. Yeah, I'm 25% down on doggy coin. <laughs> I see. I'm pissed. <laughs> Give me I my see like my numbers back. and I'm like, oh, like I got to I got to stop because I'm getting emotional over this money that like I I'm like, okay, I know that I've and I'm usually safer with my investments, so I I don't make a lot, but I'm just slowly gaining. But sometimes you see the S&P just dip and you're like, Oh no! Like I could imagine for somebody who has all their life savings into something, you know, you have a two thousand eight or even you know, whatever, you know, twenty twenty, telling them and trying to calm them down from saying like, listen, things are going to get better. Like we've got to you know hold the line. 
I guess right. a tough thing for people when it comes to, of course, their retirement, but just their money in general. Right. Yeah, I think uh, I think you know I'd love to say like I'm a disciplined investor and this is my strategy <laughs> to it, um, but I also get emotional and like I mean that's why I got out of Bitcoin. I couldn't stomach the volatility. Like yeah. it just it was too much of a emotional roller coaster to see me yeah. like gain and lose thousands of dollars in a day. Yeah, and yeah. Um, and so you know I, I looked for an opportunity to exit and I did. Um, we had that conversation about Tesla. Yeah, Tesla's another one. I mean, when you have a CEO that one tweet can can <laughs> drop or increase the stock by 10% a day, like there's a yeah. lot of, can you handle it? And, um, mm-hmm. you know, maybe you have two accounts, a Fidelity account and a Robinhood account, and one is for stocks you can stomach, and one you buy and hold and don't ever log in until six months right. <laughs> or a year down the road. Right. Yeah. Um, just, just because of that, so... Uh, yeah, I mean, definitely the idea is to be disciplined and have a plan and stick to it. But like yeah. I said, you know, if you see twenty percent, ten percent, twenty percent drops, you're gonna your initial reaction is like, get out of here. <laughs> Do you have tips for people that are like in that moment of like, hey, I had whatever. I'll just give an arbitrary amount. I have a thousand dollars in my Robinhood today. My total net is eight hundred dollars. Like I'm ready to come come out and come out with my eight hundred. What? What is just like a solid, you don't have to say like, oh, put it into this. Yeah, no. I think the tip is, uh, you know, step back, look at your $800 and and look at companies that you truly think long term are going to be good investments. Um, So even before, you know, especially now with uh, the retail investor gaining steam and Reddit making some of these lower uh, cost stocks fluctuate if you see a five dollar stock and you say this company is going to be a solid company and in five years it's going to be relevant then you you don't care that it dropped 20 percent because people on reddit had a bad review or Mm -hmm. it went up 20 percent because people on reddit have a bad review or a good review like you know that this is a good company that I'm going to hold for a period of time, yeah. And regardless of the the short term fluctuations, um, they have a stable balance sheet. They have growing revenue. They are in an industry that is relevant. Like mm. you know, so you're gonna again, even with those fluctuations, eventually the market is gonna right size the 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 price of that stock or that company, mm-hmm. and so. If you have conviction in the company, um, then then stick with it. Um, I mean, if you if it goes bankrupt, I, I you know I don't know what to tell you, but like do your research, I guess is the tip, and like make sure that you're not just following the next trend or the next wave that you see because it went up forty percent this week. I mean, there's a good chance you've lost that momentum, and yeah. it's not going to be forty percent next week. Maybe it will. I don't know, but. Um, so, so, yeah, I guess if I were to give a tip, if you lost 20% on something, maybe ask yourself, why did I buy that stock to begin with? Mm-hmm. And what what is my next process going to be mm-hmm. before I go in again? Maybe it's yeah. do some paper trades or yeah. maybe it's, I mean, you know, GameStop was an anomaly. Um, I think now people are going to be a little more careful whether they publish their shorts or... Um, 
if you lost a lot of money, it's going to skyrocket. But stocks go up every day. Like, there's stocks out there that go up 20 to 30% on a daily basis. And do funds not have to publish their shorts? It's going to happen again. So you do have to, depending on how big your holdings are, you do have to um, post it, but you file it with the SEC, your holdings, and they don't necessarily have to be released right away. So there could be like a, depending on when that monthly or quarterly filing is, you could have shorted it, uh, you know, and then then you had to file, but you could have already exited. Or, right, you know. right. So I, I don't think so. At least my knowledge of, of you know, hedge fund shorting, I don't think you have to unless it's a significant percentage. You yeah. might, and you might have like a publication to your investors that hmm. you're going to do that. Yeah, interesting. Especially if it's a significant part of your portfolio. Yeah. I mean... Doing research into some of them, I like some of the ones that were affected by GameStop, like their annual gains was like 30% year over year continuously. Which is ridiculous. Like, well, if you think, yeah, if you're like already putting your money into hedge fund, you're probably not investing just like $10,000. You're probably investing a little bit more than that. Yeah, a lot so, of hedge funds have... Buy-in minimums. Pretty... pretty Big minimums, yeah. yeah. So, w- would you say like an average would be like a million? One or five, I would say. So yeah, now it's say like your one or five million is now gaining 30%. Right. That's pretty good. It's really good. I mean, you look at private equity too, like private equity is consistently, for the most part, has outperformed the market. Yeah. But it's because you're dealing with companies that <clears throat> maybe you have some experience on, you can buy them, you don't... You don't you're not restricted to like public, uh, I mean, opinion. Yeah, yeah you, you right. Know, a lot of private equity firms, uh, even Cleveland, Ohio, has a number of private equity firms that have found businesses here. And not, I mean, just like hedge funds, there's bad players in the private equity world, but sure. typically the ones I've sold to or have worked with have done really good things for the companies that they've purchased and helping them grow. It's not like buy them, cut the fat, grow revenue, sell. You know, mm-hmm. it's how do we find process efficiencies and um, you know bring in good talent that's going to yeah. assist and not necessarily eliminate so that makes sense. good and bad people in every, in every industry I guess yeah I agree with that it just depends I think where you look if you could live outside the United States in any country where would you live hmm I really did like Australia. I mean... It just seems like it would be so hot. Yeah. I mean, I was there during the winter, so maybe I didn't know. But... <laughs> you go back uh, in December and you'd be like... <laughs> yeah. I, but I don't so know. So hot. It was... Uh, it Just people are so chill there. And yeah. the, the weather is nice. And... Uh, yeah. There's a lot of good places to see a lot of good food I mean they're botanical gardens they have like live cockatoos that just mm-hmm. come chill with you and that's dope um, yeah. yeah so you were talking about uh, regional food what was the regional food in Australia or was there did you feel I mean I, I guess I don't I don't see Australian food in the same way I see you know like Chinese food or Thai food yeah or I, food. I don't know I don't think there's really 
I mean, like I said, it's more of a melting pot of like mixed. That's what I was gonna say. Yeah, you get you get your fish and chips place and your kebabs and your okay. uh, uh, fried rice. I mean, it's all in the same block. You're getting you know every culture represented. Would was Sydney a pretty like big foodie spot? I feel like there are a lot of good places to eat. Yeah. I mean, I, I couldn't say at 21 that I was much of a foodie, <laughs> uh, but <laughs> but I I ate well. Yeah. <laughs> and I enjoyed what I ate. Yeah. I know Jose wants to go to Japan. Japan would be cool. I'm, I There's hate to be so that guy, but that I, I think that it would be where I'd, I'd want to live. Really? To me, Japan sounds so expensive, though. Like, as a place to live, like, I definitely want to visit there, don't get me wrong. But as a place to live, I think people I feel like just it's super expensive. think of that as, like, maybe Tokyo, because Tokyo is like the yeah. New York of Japan. But I think, sure. like... If you're able to live in Kyoto, if you're able to live in Osaka, there's a lot of other places to live in that you can have your life and um, still live there. And maybe maybe I'm wrong. Like maybe it is expensive to live there. I just don't know that. So you would pick Japan? I, I think so. Yeah. What about you? You you've traveled the world. Yeah, you. I've, I've you, traveled a little bit. A little bit. You've got a little bit better of a head on your shoulders. To... Oh, I've just been to a few more countries. That's all. As um, I'm looking at, like, the 30 countries you've been at <laughs> yeah. on your map. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I don't know. It's it, The whole reason I, I, I asked the question is is uh, Andrew and I have been watching a lot of House Hunters International. Hmm. So there's all these people that are like, you know, they, they decided they want to change a pace. They want a different life. So they just, like, sold their house in, you know, Dallas, Texas and moved to, you know, Danang, Thailand, or they move to like, you know, just all all kinds of places, and they and rarely in, in these things are they are they moving to like a big city. Every once in a while, you get somewhere like Paris or whatever, right, but right. more often than not, they're moving to like what Jose is talking about, where you're moving to somewhere that, you know, isn't like the main. You know, if you're gonna move to Italy, you're gonna you're not gonna move to Venice or to, you know, to yeah, blanking on other cities in 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 uh, Italy, Rome, but. Um, we loved so, Sevilla. Sevilla is like a Seville. I mean, mm-hmm. whatever. In Spain, like mm-hmm. we had an Airbnb in a very chill part of the neighborhood. That Sounds was awesome. More local, and uh, I mean, there definitely was like the tourist area. But both Katie and I said, if we if we were to go back to Spain, like that's what we really enjoyed was mm-hmm. the the local spots and um, and. Sevilla just had this really cool, chill vibe to it with, like, your kind of old uh, town look to it. And yeah. Like old buildings and stuff, but um, really friendly people. And, mm-hmm. you know, so we really liked that. Yeah. Awesome. But I don't think you gave an answer. I, you know, it's it's interesting. I, I don't know if I have a, a good answer. I I think I would like to live in Italy at some point in my life I think that would be really cool just because I like Italian culture I like yeah. I mean I love Italian food right. I love Italian <laughs> wine so like I, I would love to live I think in Italy I definitely would not live in one of the main cities because I think it would be too expensive it would be like living in a, a New yeah. York or a you know Houston San Antonio but if San you had Francisco. your $12 million you'd have a few well million, but I don't have $12 million <laughs> so I would live in like a you know in a, like a, a smaller town in, in Italy, I think. Yeah. It's temperate. I love the people. I love the food. You know, I, I spent a month there, a little over a month there in college, and I loved it. Um, I, I would go back there in a heartbeat. I mean, there's a lot to be said of 
some Asian countries, you know, typically it's a it's a lot less to live there. You know, your your uh, what would you call that? I don't remember. Cost of living. Cost of living yeah. is um, you know, it's just it's a lot less. You know, mm-hmm. obviously, notwithstanding places like Singapore, which is uber expensive, or Malaysia. Um, but you know, Thailand is on the list of places that's relatively inexpensive to live. Um, the South Thai- Korea is pretty cool. South Korea is. So you know, you been to South Korea? No, I just read oh. up a lot about it. Cool culture, like so, like yeah. you know, Seoul's places awesome. like that. I could see maybe, maybe going to, but at the same time, like, you know, I think sometimes I'm I would maybe be a little too tied to my like modern appliances and things like that. <laughs> and some sometimes you look at places like that, and it's like a little tough to, you know, get your air conditioning and your. Right gas stove and like those yeah sorts of things. and realistically it's hard i mean you know one of the biggest appeals of where we're at now is that my family's both of our families are close for sure and so it'd be hard to to uproot and move yeah but speaking of i my uh dad stopped over to <laughs> help me install my ring doorbell oh nice and uh he's there right now yeah. <laughs> well as is with tradition, once we're done with the uh, whiskey, we kind of end the episode. So, um, cool. Well, I am honored. Thank you guys for letting me be part of it. Thanks for stopping uh, by. Stopping by. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how I did, but our first guest. Happy, happy to come back if you ever want me to. Yeah. I I, I can see a, a part two in the future for sure. Part two is definitely in the works. <laughs> There's just a lot of things to to talk through. I know this one was was heavy on the investing, but I know just from our conversations and you know working out and otherwise, I was like. I think we enjoy talking about a wide variety of topics and things. For sure. So, yeah. Um, but until until part two, until next time, appreciate you joining us. Thank yeah. you. Thanks for having sure. me. Thanks for stopping by.